I am Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry, where we tackle social, political, and cultural issues from the perspective of unapologetic guests while highlighting citizen activists doing amazing things throughout the country. It's been more than two years since the Me Too movement went viral, amplifying the work of Tarana Burke and the stories of women and men around the world who have been sexually abused or harassed. And in that time, the focus has rightfully been on the victims. But an important part of moving past Me Too is breaking the cultural imprints we put on men and teaching men how to respect, value, and interact with women in ways which are not toxic. For more than two decades, my guest Ted Bunch has been doing just this. As one of the founders of A Call to Men, Ted works directly with men of all ages, including those who have committed domestic and sexual abuse, to break their cycle of sexual violence. He teaches children, adolescents, and adults about consent and healthy masculinity. It's such important work, and conversations like the one he and I had are critical to building a better culture. Hi, I'm Ted Bunch, and I'm an unapologetic advocate for living and promoting healthy manhood. Sorry, not sorry. I really wanted to have this conversation with you because I feel like men aren't brought into this conversation in a way that gives, not only holds men accountable, but also gives them the platform to contribute to how to fix the problems, mm -hmm. right? And when we talk about problems, we talk about the spectrum of sexual misconduct mm -hmm. and also physical violence. And so... I think for me to know that you've done this work for so long, since mm -hmm. 2002, and I want to talk to you really about, because obviously that was before Me Too, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I want to talk to you about what was the impetus of, of starting this, of sure. your work. Thank you, and thanks mm -hmm. for the opportunity and for your leadership and vision and your courage in this space. Really, it's appreciated. Thank and, you. Uh, and I really feel like I need to acknowledge that. Um, appreciate it. Yeah, and we, um, at A Call to Men, we founded the organization in 2002. Tony Porter was the original visionary for A Call to Men. Tony and I worked together probably five years, for five years prior to that, working with men who battered domestic violence offenders. I was running the largest domestic violence program in the country mm. in New York from 1996 to 2008. So from 2002 to 2008, Tony and I were both working full-time jobs and supporting the organization and building the work. He worked with men who batter in upstate New York, and I ran this program, 600 men a week all court-mandated men, because those are the only men that come into right. batterers' programs. Right, men, exactly. don't, men don't wake up and say, this male privilege is overwhelwhing. Somebody help me. Take, right. it, take it from me. <laughs> They're um, not making that choice no, on their no, own, right? No, no, no. So it's always, it's, it's uh, mandated men, or if not court 
referred, situationally referred, meaning that their wife or girlfriend left them. She took the kids. She's not going to come back unless they get into a program. So they go into a program and can sometimes use that as a way, as a, as a manipulation tactic. So once they get into the program, she comes back and then they mm. stop going to the program. So mm. it's really not about their self-development. And that's because men who batter, it's really about our belief system. It's about how we're raised as men and how we raise our boys. Healthy manhood is demonstrating respect for women, for children, for other men, as well as yourself. And as we increase and promote healthy and respectful manhood, we also decrease and prevent domestic violence. And that's the message of a call to men, and men becoming part of the solution and becoming healthier and more respectful men. Ted, I turn to you because, I mean, you are a man who works in this area and you're doing good work, and men need to be a part of this conversation. Yes. What is your message to them? Well, first of all, I want to say that we really our heart goes out to the victims. And I think about, when I think about the women who had the courage to come forward, then I think about all those women in the margins of the margins who, you know, the domestic workers, the undocumented worker, the woman who's working in a low-paying uh, job and, and all that they're being abused and the disrespect that's happening there. So um, men have to, as women are finding their voice, men have to find our voice too. So when Tony came to me with this idea, we wanted to talk to all men. We recognized that while the overwhelming majority of violence against women is men's violence, that the overwhelming majority of men are not violent, but we're silent about the violence other men perpetrate, and that silence is as much of the problem as the mm. violence is. So let's talk to them, because we know that it's about the collective socialization of manhood, that all men, men who commit acts of domestic violence, sexual assault, sexual harassment in the workplace, those men, their belief system is not different from those other men who don't do those things. We've all been taught three main things that kind of support and promote violence against women. And this is true wherever I've gone all over the world. Wherever there's patriarchy, there's sexism. Right. Sexism is male dominance. And these three things are key factors that men are taught, and we pass this down to our boys, that women and girls have less value than men and boys. You can see that anywhere we go. You can see it right now at a What's this? Uh, this baseball season getting ready to start up. Mm -hmm. There'll be youth baseball here in California, where I'm from in New York, all over our beautiful country. And wonderful men, good guys, not men who would harm girls or women, are saying to a little boy right now, their son, their the boy they're coaching, their nephew, their little brother, son, you have to throw harder than that. You throw like a, right? Girl, Everyone right. knows the answer. That. Now, girls throw just fine. But what is that little boy... That six-year-old boy, does he leave that situation, that interaction, thinking that girls are equal to him or less than him? Less than. How can he not? And we're giving him these messages all the time. So that's all men, not just men who commit these acts that we don't want committed. That's all of us are taught that. So important. So, to yes. To acknowledge that, to really— Sure. Yeah. And, I, you know, I have I have a four-year-old girl. She's the only girl on her baseball team. Mm -hmm. But the coach calls her sweetie. Yeah. This is it. Right. So exactly. So now her position is undermined because she's sweetie now? Yeah. Right. And, and and also the perception of the other boys on the team. Exactly. When he calls her that. Exactly. What does that mean for them? Right. And now that 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 man is a I'm gonna assume is a well intentioned man. Right. He's not someone who's trying to undermine the empowerment of girls mm -hmm. in the same way that that coach or uncle or father is not trying to 
put girls down by saying you throw like a girl. But it's just this this generational messages, these cultural norms, these societal norms that we keep passing down that are harmful. And we call it the collective socialization of manhood, or uh, the short version for that is a phrase we've coined called the man box. And so less value in women and girls is something that we're all taught. Listen, I've been doing this work for 25 years, and I'm still learning I'm still addressing the collective socialization because I'm so accustomed to, for example, now, first of all, I just want for your, for your audience, especially the men who might be listening, to understand that this is not an in, indictment on manhood no. at all. It's an invitation to men. Mm-hmm. And that we really, as in, important as it is that, we, that, that men are called out or anyone who perpetrates any kind of violence or a violation of someone is called out. That calling out is important for accountability. That calling out is important for the victim's voice to be heard. Hopefully that allows that victim to get some healing. But it's also important to be intentional about calling men in. And that's what we have to do now is call men in because we're not, these are not, and I'm putting in quotes, bad guys just running around doing these things. These are men who sexual harass in the workplace. The workplace is a microcosm of our greater society. They're just bringing their manhood into work. And their manhood is those things that we're taught. Women and girls have less value than men and boys. Women are the property of men. If, if uh, any Main Street USA, any city, any town, if I see a man right now today in 2019 hitting his wife or girlfriend, and I walk over to him and say, knock it off, what does he say to me? Mind your business. business. That's right. That's what we're expected to do. Because when we look at domestic violence, has it been seen as a private issue or a public issue? It's been seen as a private issue. It's become more of a public issue because, especially in the last four or five years, because someone who was recognized and a community influencer got seen on tape doing something terrible. And now we started having a national conversation around domestic violence in the same way that a year and a little bit over ago, there were sexual harassment allegations yeah. brought forward by someone who had influence and platform and, and resources. He was alleged and got caught for all of these things. So now it's part of the national conversation because the way we deal with things is through intervention. Something has to happen. We, we, we want to intervene. Our work is to go upstream to prevention where it never happens in the first place. That right. bridge from intervention to prevention is men. And if we're most of the problem, we're going to be most of the solution as well. So someone comes to you and what is the first lesson you teach? So when we work with men, the first thing we do is really acknowledge that all of us have been taught things. This collective socialization of men that I mentioned earlier, less value, property, and the third is that women and girls are sexual objects. Right. That's what we're taught, and our boys are taught that. So we want to deconstruct that and keep the wonderful things there are about manhood that are great, and there's a lot, but also challenge those things that are harmful, not only to women and girls and those who don't conform to gender, but also to men and boys. I mean, we're, we're, we're dying six years earlier than women. Mm-hmm. You know, this, these rigid notions of manhood are killing men too. Mm-hmm. And there's a direct link from that. From when, when, we, when we tell our boys to stop crying, we're also telling them to stop feeling. Right. right. And, you know, that emotional stress literally manifests itself into a physical stress when we get older and we're dying from all these stress-related illnesses because this man box is killing us too. I'm going to share with you a paradigm-shifting perspective 
on the issues of gender violence, sexual assault, domestic violence, relationship abuse, sexual harassment, sexual abuse of children, that whole range of issues that I'll refer to in shorthand as gender violence issues. They've been seen as women's issues that some good men help out with, but I have a problem with that frame and I don't accept it. I don't see these as women's issues that some good men help out with. In fact, I'm gonna argue that these are men's issues, first and foremost. Now, obviously, Obviously, there are also women's issues, so I appreciate that, but calling gender violence a women's issue is part of the problem for a number of reasons. The first is that it gives men an excuse not to pay attention, right? A lot of men hear the term women's issues, and we tend to tune it out, and we think, hey, I'm a guy, that's for the girls, or that's for the women, and a lot of men literally don't get beyond the first sentence as a result. It's almost like a chip in our brain is activated, and the neural pathways take our attention in a different direction when we hear the term women's issues. This is also true, by the way, of the word gender, because a lot of people hear the word gender and they think it means women. So they think that gender issues is synonymous with women's issues. There's some confusion about the term gender. We need to take responsibility for our behavior. And right now, women have had to take the lead on that because they're the ones who are, infected, uh, who are affected and impacted by that. So what we want to do is close the distance for men. Right now, the way that we have conversations with men, um, the closest way to move a man is to touch his heart. In order to touch his heart, you have to connect with what he cares about. And what he cares about are the women and girls in his life. Right. So now it's unfortunate. That's why you hear so much. You'll hear a man say, well, I, I love women. I, I love my mom. I love exactly. my sister. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And they do. But we deserve things because it's our inalienable right yes. to those things, not only because Absolutely. you have mothers and sisters. And Exactly. Right. Exactly. So we'll go through the door of mom and sister to connect a man to his heart. Mm. Because And that's an intentional way of educating men. And because we have to be intentional that way, because if we could just say women in general and have them connect to value and respect for them, we wouldn't have this conversation. So, so what about if you're dealing with a man who just has, who doesn't have a sister, who has a horrible right. mother, mm -hmm. who has no reflection right. of what a good woman mm -hmm. is, mm -hmm. and therefore the respect that she deserves, yeah. how do you deal with right. that situation? Right. Well, we deal with really um, not necessarily these individual issues that men have, but the collective socialization of mm. men. So, 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 so that man is taught the same thing that all men are taught. Right. Those three things and how that gets played out, how that looks, and to, to deconstruct that. Because it isn't really about that individual thing. In the same way that if we were dealing with race, Alyssa, yeah. we wouldn't deal with the individual white man who has some history with black people who has been harmful to him. And I mean, we're talking about the culture that allows racism to exist. Yeah. That's what we're addressing. And how that then looks for all the individuals is how it looks for the individuals. And the same thing with men. But there's some basic cultural norms that men are taught. Also religious norms. Uh, yes. And, and throughout all religions. God instructs all Christian wives to submit to their husbands. You see, wives, please hear me this morning. The message is not from your husband to submit. The message is from the Lord. You're, you're not to ever submit, ma'am, because your husband demands it. But you do it because the Lord ordained it. Now, ladies, 
you can rebel against that command. But just please understand, you're not rebelling against your husband when you do. You are rebelling against the Lord. Well, because the lenses that those religions are seen through are male. Right. So even though it's, you know, and we do a lot of work with religious groups, actually, and clergy. And while their spiritual text, uh, all spiritual text is really supposed to be at a higher level, we're still seeing them through these lenses that are based in male dominance, that are based in... Even the way we talk about the Bible or even our, our religious leaders, all men. Yes. Amen. Right. And we've, you know, there's been more than a number of times when I've heard men say women are supposed to obey their husbands and that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, and really, you know, beating women with the Bible. Right. I mean, you know, not literally, but spiritually. Yeah. You know, um, controlling her in those ways. Pray for your husband. Don't leave if he's being abusive to you. Pray for him. Those types of things. So this is really, and this is not an indictment on the clergy either. No, it's of really course. about where we are. We just we need to be more informed. In the same way that police used to say, you know, twenty years ago, just have the guy walk around the block and cool off, and then send him back into the house. Well, they don't do that anymore because they've learned that that doesn't work. And the same thing with the clergy or any other institution. Because these institutions, though, are are sexist at their core in many ways. So we have to be able to be able to be honest enough to see that. And to say, okay, what's working and what is not working? We can keep this. Oh, we can keep that too. But we have to let this go. And the voices of women is who's going to inform that. I think about how we teach these lessons far too late, right? And if you take, let's say, a white boy of privilege, Mm -hmm. okay, and you put him through high school Mm -hmm. and he does, you know, well, and he's dealing with all of the hormonal aspects of of being a teenager. And that's when we teach those lessons, right, Mm -hmm. of equality and gender equality and race equality. But then you take the same same kid and and he goes to college. And in this institution, he decides he's going to join a fraternity Mm -hmm. because it's what he should be doing. Mm -hmm. And then there's this dynamic of, well, is it a white fraternity? Is it a black fraternity? And and this 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 dynamic of looking at the women in a sorority yeah. as mm-hmm. objects, yeah. and then on top of that, you're plucking these young people out of this college situation when they're excelling in something, and you're putting them into an office space, mm-hmm. and you're saying to them, "Don't act like you did in college, where we just took you from. Mm-hmm. You need to act like a professional male, where you do not see gender at all." And yet their entire um, education around being uh, a man or, or, you know, a white man is around sexualization of women. Yeah. High school, college, and then we put them in these office spaces and we say, no, 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 you can't. For the last, whatever, 20 years, you've been doing it this way. You can't do it that way anymore. You have to completely retrain yourself. You bring up an excellent point because this is the key. Because not only are men repeating these continuous behaviors. Women, too. Yes. Women, too. Because we learn that we can manipulate Mm -hmm. outcomes based on sexuality. Mm -hmm. And it took me the longest time to figure out how to relate to men on a spiritual, intellectual capacity and love men without 
using my body as a crutch mm-hmm. or manipulation. So I had to rethink mm-hmm. it. I had to relearn this. And it doesn't mean that I'm any less um, desirable, you know, all those things that women, those insecurities mm-hmm. that we have. So I think the dynamic is really mm-hmm. interesting. But ultimately, I feel like we're just teaching the lessons mm-hmm. way too late. Yeah. I would agree. We, we uh, and thank you for sharing that because I think that you're right that, you know, there's these challenges that women go through and so much of it is in response to what men have, the rules that men have put in place and what they expect. And women are responding to those in ways. Well, don't that, you think it's cyclical though, though, that men are also responding to yes, how women. Absolutely. Absolutely. But if we look at how this, you know, the, the construct of it, it's really benefiting men. It's for men. But yes, but it's harming all of us. Mm-hmm. Young men around the country, high school and middle school boys. This group was 300 high school boys from all around the country, LA to New York, affluent schools to financially challenged schools. We wanted a great sample. We even mm-hmm. went into an indigenous community. We had the mm. curriculum pilot in a, in a community of First Nation young men in Minnesota. So it was a great sampling. And we're always very intentional about being inclusive and diverse. Yeah. So important. And we know that the, that we know that the problem's universal, but the solution is also. And how sexism and male dominance, patriarchy play out, it's really the same. It's just how it looks in that particular community. So less value, property, objectification, those are the three main pillars. So when I'm in South Africa and I'm talking to a group of men and I say to them, instead of the baseball analogy, I say a football, a soccer ball, and I say to them, you know, you have to throw harder than that, son. You you kick like a... And all of them said, girl, right? So it's the same thing. So this live respect curriculum, back to my point, we asked high school boys, good boys now, can you define consent? And only 19% of our boys, and I'm talking to your listeners right there, in your community and in mine, 19% of our boys could define consent. Now, 8 out of 10 could not. So that explains some things. It explains sexual assault on the college campuses because that's what you're talking about. They're going into a fraternity. They don't even know what boundaries valuing girls are, respect is, unless it's their sister, like you say. Right. And if you ask them if they want one of their fraternity brothers or one of their – because it's not just fraternity. If they want one of their friends to go out with with their their sister, they'll say no. Right. (laughs) Right. If I ask most – when I ask men – if your 16-year-old self showed up to date your daughter, would you say, come in, or would you say, get out of here? <laughs> All of them say, get out of here. And these are, the, these are the men who are not harming women intentionally anyway. Right. So, so it explains sexual assault in the military. It explains sexual assault on college campuses. It explains why girls and women between 16 and 24 are at the highest rate of being sexually assaulted. It means that our boys think no means try harder. Mm-hmm. And that's because that's what we've taught them. As men in their community, as up. fathers, don't give up. Don't give you, up. Yeah, that's you it. You want something, that's you have right. to go get it. That's right. That's right. Especially don't care what she's experiencing because she's not as important. Now, that those same groups of boys, high school boys, who that 19% knew what consent was, we asked them another question. We asked them, now, we're promoting abstinence, right? We say, you know, don't want you guys to have sex, you know? Wait, yeah, right? But we asked them this question because it's 2019 and they're having sex. A lot of our middle schoolers are having sex. Actually, there was a, a survey, a, a, was a report done recently that something like 80% of all fifth graders have seen pornography, mm. which is, it's easy to see, isn't it? It's right on our phone. And it's not the pornography that I saw in my uncle's magazine right. which in his, under his it's mattress. It's much more graphic. That, which was it's Playboy. much more accessible. What I saw was what you see in Victoria's Secrets when you go through the mall. That's exactly right. Now it's mis- total misogyny. <laughs> 
only dominating in abuse toward women. It's 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 totally separating us from our soul, our heart, everything. And and our boys are seeing this. So we asked these boys, same boys who we surveyed with the other question. Okay, if you're having sex with a young woman, and she doesn't want to, she wants to. She's saying stop. Can she? Forty-one percent said no. Mm. Nope, she got to finish. Mm. Isn't that something? So her body's not hers. What if we refocus? If we make the goal of reducing rates of sexual assault and violence, the outcome of sexuality education, instead of reducing teenage pregnancy rates. If young people have access to accurate sexual health information and are supported in developing the skills, language and confidence to express themselves and crucially to interpret and understand what is being communicated to them. I believe there could be a global impact on rates of sexual assault and violence if comprehensive, inclusive sexuality education was available to all young people. you're not ready for you don't have to do that and it doesn't mean that you're not a man if you don't because there's so much pressure on our boys there's boys who are in these situations where they're being pressured to have sex it's a great point and they're like i have i can't not listen if we go let's look at any senior in any high school in our country a senior boy let's say his name is john he's going out on a friday night with his with his friend, Kathy, to take her out to, to a movie. And he gets on uh, group text with four of his buddies for, who are also in high school. And he says, hey, I'm taking Kathy to the movies, guys. I'll hit you up later. Right? And, it, and, he, and he goes to the movie, takes Kathy home, perfect gentleman, mm-hmm. gets back on his group text and says, hey, guys, I'm back from the movie. Is the first thing those boys asking him, how was the movie? <laughs> no. No. Yeah. So where are they learning that? Right. These are not bad boys now. Right. These are the good ones. Right. Where are they learning that? So we have to take more responsibility as men. When I'm in a group of men and I ask them, "How? what are your conversations with boys around sex? It's don't get her pregnant, wear a condom. That's it. Yeah. And what are your conversations with your girls? Wait till you're married. If I ask a group of fathers, when should your daughters have sex? They say never. <laughs> right. They don't even want to confront it. <laughs> never. By the way, I'm trying to teach consent Minus the sexual part of it with my kids. Yes. They're seven and yes, four. Yes, 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 Because I think you can you absolutely. can teach these lessons Boundaries, now. absolutely. Boundaries. Uh, you took that toy away from your sister. Did you ask her if it was okay to take that toy away from her? Did you ask consent to play with her toy? Mm-hmm. But I think what we even even the grown-ups right so so you know the the give your uncle a kiss. Your uncle wants a kiss. Yes. Bella, kiss your uncle. Yes. Come on, give your uncle. Like, we're teaching our young little girls that if they're told to, they have to do something with their bodies.
That's a great point. Right? And then if you call them out, because I have, I have, you know, people in my daughter's life that are like, give me a kiss. You don't want to give me a kiss? Why don't you want to give me a kiss? Give me a kiss. And I'll call them out and be like, she doesn't have to kiss you. And they actually get upset. Yeah. Like, I am judging them when really I'm just trying to teach her right. that her body is her right. own to do what she feels comfortable right. with. Right. So even just calling men out in that in that very simple way about you know how you're interacting with a four year old girl, mm-hmm. um, they get fearful yeah. and and uh, defensive. Yes, and oh, will you stop? Yes, it's like right. no, I won't like stop. You're yeah, like I'm overreacting, yeah. and it's yeah. not. And I'm always like, it's not about you. I'm teaching right. her the lesson, yeah. not yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right? right. You're absolutely right. And but because again, you're teaching because if you if we're if we're doing something even with our daughters, if we're doing something that challenges that male entitlement, right? That male privilege that that she should want a man to say Give something her about. Right, right, right. Well, I, I just want to go back to the uh, the the fathers asking them about when their girls should have sex. If I ask them when should their boys have sex, it's quiet. Mm. Or they're thinking, or they're like, well, you know, if he's going to college and he hasn't, and he's still a virgin, I'm scratching my head a little bit. Right. Well, where's, we can't have it both ways, right? Yeah. So with the little girl, for instance, that you're mentioning, or your daughter, when I ask men with your daughter, when she was three years old, right, even younger maybe, how many other men have said to you, oh, you better get your shotgun ready? Right. Right? Every man raises his hand because it's the same thing you're saying. Then those men who are saying, your girl better get your shotgun ready means men are going to be interested in her. And she's three right now. And she's three. So they're already objectifying her. Yep. And and projecting. And projecting, but also by saying that, they're also not speaking. That's not about her. That's about their boys. Damn. Yes. That you know we don't raise our boys to value her, so you better get your shotgun ready because right. she's in danger. That's what that's about. It's about us. It all comes back to us. Alyssa, it's not that women and girls need to be rescued and saved. You're competent to, all by yourself. It's that men need to not be violent and discriminate. And everything else seems to work itself out. It'll be a better world for all of us. We're the ones hurting people more than anyone else. When we look at the harm that's done not only to men, when you trace it back, there's a lot of harm that a man has done to that boy. Mm-hmm. Even with our boys, one out of six sexually assaulted. I mean, and I, and I think that's very that's 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 a, that's a, that's a low number. I know it's a low number. But when we look at that, it's not that women don't do harm, but men. There's so much. It's such a greater number. And so we have to really take responsibility for that as men. Um, and just the stigma associated with vulnerability. Yes. Well, that's outside of the man box. Because if you're vulnerable, that means you're weak. Right. And if you're weak, that's not something that men respect and not you're not supposed to be weak. So you're supposed to be tough, dominate, controlling, express no emotion except for anger. And we know anger is a secondary emotion. In other words, we're really feeling hurt and pain. Right. But we don't get to share that because when we share that as that little boy, we were humiliated. So we have to stuff it and then release it as anger 
but it's a, that's a secondary response to really what's going on. So when we go to fraternities or anywhere with youth, like, like colleges, when I'm talking to college boys, and specifically athletes and fraternities, because those are organized groups of men on campus, so that's why, especially for your listening audience, it's not, a, it's not an indictment on a fraternity, but those are the organized spaces where men are and only men. And I say to those boys that you have a responsibility now. When that girl is drunk on the couch— we don't take her up to the room anymore and tell Joe to let John know, to let Mark know, to let Carl know that she's there. Yeah. What we do now is we get her home. So actually, instead of looking out for the girl who's drunk and vulnerable to take advantage of her, because those boys would say, I'm having sex with her. It's rape, of course. Right. Instead of looking for those girls who are drunk and vulnerable to take advantage of her, your job now is to look for girls who are drunk and vulnerable and get her home safely. That's your job. And I bet they rise to that they occasion. They do. They do. They're waiting for permission to do that. These are not bad kids. Right. But, and even when we're in, even when we have a conversation with our boys individually and say, do you know what this is? Because I've had, I have four children, one girl, three boys. And I can sit down and have a conversation and they'll answer all my questions correctly. And then I'll say, okay, so I know you know what to do, right? If in a certain circumstance, whether it's, when you're driving and the police stop you, right, right. <laughs> where do you put your hands? Two o'clock and 10. That's right, son. Right. And no matter what he does, it says, do you get upset? No, I don't. You just remember the badge number, the name, and you get home safely and then we'll deal with it, right? But then if we're in a situation where they're dating someone, a girl or someone who may be the same gender as you, what do you do, right? How do you respect that person? All of those things of boundaries respect what that looks like. It's really important. We don't have those conversations. We with have our to boys say enough. it out. We have to say it out loud. Right. But p- I think part of it's kind of tricky too, though, because the vocabulary doesn't really exist yet. <laughs> yeah. Because women are just coming forward, mm-hmm. and so to to define the boundaries, uh, I think right now it's a little bit more difficult because I don't think the dialogue has happened long enough that we know exactly what to tell each other. The new headline tonight involving one of the most powerful figures in Hollywood, several allegations of sexual harassment against movie producer Harvey Weinstein. According to the New York Times, Weinstein reached settlements with at least eight women. In response to the allegations, Weinstein said in a statement, I came of age in the 60s and 70s when all the rules about behavior in workplaces were different. I appreciate the way I've behaved with colleagues in the past has caused a lot of pain and I sincerely apologize for it. Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh has been hit by a newly reported sexual misconduct accusation. Today's New York Times reports a former Yale classmate tried to tip off senators and the FBI last year, but according to the paper, the FBI did not investigate. President Trump today fired back, tweeting Kavanaugh should start suing people. Justice Kavanaugh has denied all previous misconduct allegations. My name is Christine Blasey Ford. I am a professor of psychology at Palo Alto University and a research psychologist at the Stanford University School of Medicine. I am here today not because I want to be. I am terrified. I am here because I believe it is my civic duty to tell you what happened to me while Brett Kavanaugh and I were in high school. Use some Tic Tacs just in case I start kissing her. You know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. You just kiss. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. 
You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab them by the pussy. Are you saying that what you said on that bus 11 years ago, that you did not actually kiss women without consent or grope women without consent? I have great respect for women. Nobody has more respect for women than I do. So for the record, said, you're saying you never did that. things that, frankly, you, you hear these things, they're said. And I was embarrassed by it, but I have tremendous respect for women. Have you ever done those things? have respect for me. And I will tell you, no, I have not. I'm interested to know, though, because you've been doing this work for so long, how has it changed since Me Too went viral? Oh, it's a different world. It's a different world. Because? Because since 2002, right. it was about domestic violence. It was about violence against women. And, and we did not mm, create any kind of uh, hierarchy around it. It was what domestic violence, uh, what violence against women looked like was domestic violence, sexual assault, trafficking, sexual harassment, discrimination, mm-hmm. any types of abuse. Because where that comes from with men, we don't separate it as men if it's sexual no, assault. No, I think it's or, the, the yeah, spectrum, exa- right? Yeah, it's the, yeah, yeah. the spectrum of an abuse of power. Right. So that's what we want to challenge, that. Right. And if we challenge that, if we promote and increase a healthy and respectful manhood, we decrease and prevent domestic violence, sexual assault, sexual harassment, homophobia, heterosexism. It goes away. There's not a man that exists. Just like I don't think there's a woman that exists who hasn't, who doesn't have a Me Too moment right. or, or, or experience. There's not a man who exists who hasn't either done something or said something that was discriminatory or sexually objectifying women or witnessed another man doing something and saying something and did nothing about it. He does not exist. Yeah. Listen, we the way we define ourselves as men has been to objectify women. That's yeah. one of the ways you prove it. And those men who are in the workplace are saying, I mean, saying, all right, this is a good example of what's changed. Saying you look great in that dress in September of last year sounds much different today for every man. So there's this time, and that's a good thing, because we have to say, oh, wait a minute, you know, this is a workplace. I have to respect this. I have to, this is different than my personal life or anywhere else. So it's, it's, it's really been a time where the curtain's been pulled back, and we all have to look at ourselves. And I share this when I, when I, when I present. When I was asked to do an article for um, an outlet, and I think it might have been Huffington Post, I'm not sure, around sexual harassment right after uh, everything came out around Me Too. And I don't like saying the person's name that it was focused on because it's not about, for, for the work of a cult man, it's not about him. Right. Because there's so many men who do similar things. Right. right? And, and I'm just so sick of them being the protagonists anyway. Yes, like, yes, you. know you. what yeah, I mean? Yeah, let's yeah, let's right, not, right, right. right. There's a culture that has allowed this to exist, and that's the culture we want to address. Right. He, right? So good. So Yes, so, I'm so with you. So I just, yeah, I don't want people to think I'm avoiding the names for any reason except that, you know, does it really matter? This is about manhood. So I was writing this article and getting ready to hit send. And honestly, I'm adjusting my rearview mirror, Alyssa. Is someone going to come back to me and say, well, wait a minute, Ted. You said this or you did that or you did that. Now I sent it and nothing happened because I've always handled myself well. But even in handling ourselves well as well-intentioned men, We've done things that have objectified women. There's no doubt about it right. because that's how we have been taught to be men. Mm-hmm. So how can it not impact all of us, which is a good thing because we're all, this is the common ground. And this is, not only is it a time of reflection, but it's a time to reset. Right. Where we can say to men in other, you know, when we see him say something or do something, we say, hey, man, come on. 
Where have you been? We don't do that anymore. I mean, it's really an easy fix now, you know, where you're not just this bad guy who said, oh, that's not cool, and you're overreacting. No, that's not cool. Right. <laughs> like, where have you been? Right, exactly. Well, it's so interesting because I get this question all the time about Me Too backlash. And to me, I think the backlash has been the most important part of this movement because it's within those gray areas that we get to define right and wrong yes. and we continue to have the conversation, right. right? So it wasn't just something that happened where we spent six months talking about it and then it just went away. People continued to come forward in some questionable circumstances, right? Like, you know, I can think about the 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 woman that came forward with Aziz Ansari. Yes. A sexual misconduct allegation against Aziz Ansari has become a flashpoint in the Me Too conversation. In a recent article, Ansari was accused of acting inappropriately on a date. The allegations were published on the website babe.net. The anonymous source characterized the encounter as sexual assault. Ansari released a statement saying in part, I was surprised and concerned. I took her words to heart and responded privately after taking the time to process what she had said. I continue to support the movement that is happening in our culture. It's necessary and long overdue. In the aftermath, there have been many think pieces. Some commentators called it poor journalism, while others said it was a gift to anyone who wants to derail the Me Too movement. You had an unpleasant date and you did not leave. That is on you. The story sparked a renewed conversation about modern dating norms. Man, if you say you're a feminist, then f- like a feminist. And if you don't want to do that, take off your f-ing pin because we are not your accessory. And highlighted a generational divide among women. What is a nonverbal cue? I, I, this may be something that young women discuss. The author of the article called for a broader discussion about affirmative consent. Just because something happens a lot doesn't mean it should ever happen. You know, some people thought that, yes, that is 100% sexual assault and he took advantage of her. And then, you know, I'm sitting at home thinking, well, I've had some instances like that. And I don't know that I would say that that was the man's fault. Like, I have to take responsibility for why I was in that predicament at that moment. But not only did we have those conversations during that very publicly, but we also had the the moment to take to reflect on our past, whether it be a woman or a man, and say, you know what, I've had some situations like that, and I don't, I don't know that this is necessarily yeah. right or wrong, but yeah. you know, let's figure it out together. And it was to me the first time where both genders were coming together to try to figure out what the boundary is there, yeah. and it allows dis- yes. it allowed discussion, yeah. which hadn't happened yeah. up until that point. Yeah. So to me. All of the questioning of this, how, you know, are we overcorrecting mm-hmm. in this moment in history? Mm-hmm. All of that stuff is so important. Very, you're, you're right. It's so important to keep talking about it, to keep having right. these conversations, to keep encouraging women and men to come forward in, in any situation of abuses and of power. Yeah. I am not concerned about anybody in my industry that has suffered sexual harassment or assault. We're going to be okay. My concern is the homeless community, the military, the women in prison, Mm -hmm. the women in the field that live paycheck to paycheck. 
How do we get this to those men and those women? Because as far as I'm concerned, this is not going to succeed until we fix those communities that are marginalized, that are underrepresented. Yes. How do we get it to them? How do yeah. we how do we get how do I go into how do I go into Skid Row right mm-hmm, now mm-hmm. and try to make a difference and bring me too to the homeless women and men of my community? Yeah. Great questions. And we have a statement uh, a saying that, you know, we, we go to the margins of the margins, right? It's really important. One of our, our director of community initiatives, Lena Webe. Botea framed that, and that's something that a call to men says, the margins of the margins, meaning those most vulnerable among us that you're talking about. Yeah. You know, the, the, you know, I'm staying at a hotel not far, and the, you know, the domestic worker who's in the hotel, you know, what kind of recourse does she have if she's sexually harassed? Those types of things. The homeless, homeless women in shelters, for instance, those types of, those types of situations. Or the military, so, where they have the, the Ferris doctrine yes. that prevents them from taking any recourse. Or, yes. or action yes. against their perpetrators. Exactly, yeah. So our, our work, you know, as I mentioned, the, the vision of a call to men is to create a world where all men and boys are loving and respectful and all women and girls are valued and safe. And when we were creating this, our language around this, we put the word all in there very intentionally mm-hmm. because we knew that if we said to end violent, to uh, create where men are loving and respectful and women are valued and safe, we have to say all, because if we don't say all, then we're not going to touch the margins of the margins. We're going to go more to the middle, which means white women. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure, because we know white women are going to be taken care of, you know, more so than those other women. It's not to right? discredit their pain. No, not to discredit no, their and pain I, at and all. I want to go back to what I said about the women in my industry, because I don't want to take away anything from their pain Thank or belittle, yeah. belittle their yeah. pain. I, I totally yeah. understand. My my heart because I am one of those women that was that was abused within the industry, my heart just automatically goes to how do we help those that have no help? Yeah, now, I appreciate you saying that, and I'm, just for my just for the clarity of this conversation. Mm-hmm. So, so because everyone's pain is their pain yes. is real. How do we get past this point where m- m- we are holding men accountable for their abuses of power, whether that be domestic violence or sexual abuse? And they just deny it. Yeah. How, this is the this is the the part that I don't see how we get to the other side of mm-hmm. because there is a movement yeah. in saying, no, that I didn't do that. Yeah. No, it wasn't me. And and this total denial that is so hurtful to women. And I think that that's where this term "believe women" comes from, right? Is because every single man that's accused of any oppression um, is just denies it. Mm-hmm. So at what point? And how do we get to that point where they say, you know what, I'm going to take responsibility for yeah. this, and I'm going to grow from this, mm-hmm. and it's okay. Mm-hmm. And that's why there's been, you know, a movement to demonize men that have been accused of sexual harassment or misconduct in the workplace. And there has been this movement to sort of set them aside, not let them back in the workplace, ostracize them from their communities, whatever that that be, deny them re-entry almost into the workplace. And I think it is more productive for us to figure out what happens when these people get jobs again. Mm -hmm. How do we fix that? How do we make women in the workplace comfortable 
to be working with someone who was fired from a previous job mm-hmm. for sexual misconduct. Mm-hmm. And I think that once we figure that out, figure what that looks like, not ostracize men from this conversation, from, you know, we have to invite them to the table. Yeah. It's almost as if we are uh, villainizing them for life rather than saying, you know what? This was not okay. You did this. We're holding you accountable. You're going to get a second chance at some point. Think about how you're going to make your life different. And then how do the employers make the workspace more conducive to a feeling of safety and equality so that men don't feel like they have to deny what's happening? Right. So – It's complex. It's very complex. And what's – what one of the reasons why it's so complex is because we're the first generation of men being held accountable for something men have always gotten away with. And male privilege, entitlement, the patriarchy is being shaken at its core, right? Because every man since Me Too became in the last year and a half mm-hmm. um, Tirana, of course, and and then your in your in your tree, Tirana's work and experience in your and then and then all that's happened since then, especially with your using your platform to raise awareness here. Since that time, it's been a time of reflection for men, some forced reflection, right? That we've all every man has had to look at themselves. How am I impacting other people? Which is a wonderful thing, long overdue. Mm-hmm. But it's also a time that men are challenged for because we don't have language around it. We don't know how to navigate it. So what happens is when when male privilege is, is challenged, then sexism raises its ugly head. In the same way when race privilege is challenged, racism raises its ugly head, right? right? And so you'll get backlash. Oh, well, I'm not going to have a closed-door meeting with Now, these are not these – are, these are men who – haven't done anything wrong, but they're now saying, oh, I'm not going to have a closed-door meeting with women, as if women were the problem when the doors were closed. Right. (laughs) So true. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really blaming the victim. We spin it in the same way that we would spin um, that women, you know, who was sexually assaulted, well, did you see what she had on, or why did she have so much to drink, and all those things. Because of this entitlement and privilege, sexism, we lean toward men giving the benefit of the doubt to men. We think, well, uh, that something must be something that the woman has done or or didn't do. So when we talk about reentry into the workplace, I mean there has to be a road to redemption. Yes, I there agree. There has to be. But can we get to that point now where we're talking right. about what that looks like? Right. So and what has to happen in that road is first of all the person who has done the harm needs to acknowledge that harm, take responsibility for it, hold themselves accountable. And do things to make things better. That's how we know that there's remorse. That's how we know that they want to be redeemed, right? And at the same time, we have to start shifting this culture that doesn't value women. Because that's why men can say, oh, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. And if they say it long enough, it's going to go away because we value men more than women. Thank you so much for doing this work. Thank you for the it's opportunity so, and for you using your platform to make such a difference. It's 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 been my I'm not going to say pleasure because it's been very hard as far as just having a heartache, but it's been my honor to be a a messenger of sorts in this movement, which I think I think my my kids' generation is going to benefit from it, and that's a great feeling. 
There's no doubt about it. And I really think that what you do is impactful. Thank and you. we need more men to stand up and, and say these things out loud. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, to say it doesn't make you any less of a man. No. It makes you more of a man. Yes, yes. More of our fullness, yeah. our authentic selves. And, you know, as I said, I find that men are thirsty for it, you know, when they're given permission to have this, when there's a, when there's a space that allows the conversation. When I was a little kid, I was really good at just being me. But I grew distant from my true feelings. I was shaped by what society expected from me. Holding on to my masculine traits because they were encouraged. I lost sight of my more sensitive qualities. I became disconnected from myself and then disconnected from others. I was taught to be in control of everything around me. No, come over here. No, come this way. And that girls were not my equal. That would have devastating effects on my life and those around me. I responded to stress with anger. hid my emotions. I felt the need to dominate and control others. No, 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 listen to what I'm telling you. I know what I'm talking about. All of which was bad for my health. I reject those rigid notions of manhood. I never use violence. I value women, girls, and non-binary people. I speak out against injustice. Healthy manhood makes me happier and healthier. Now I'm more in touch with my emotions. I just feel a whole lot better. I value and respect all people. Healthy manhood prevents problems in my community. I can be myself. I can express my version of masculinity. I can create a world where all men and boys are loving and respectful and all women and girls are valued and safe. So many of us have a Me Too story. And for each of us who has been the victim in one of these stories, there is someone who has been the villain. No matter what we do, these people are not going away. They will still be here, living and working in our communities. Now, I'm not talking about the rapists, the active predators, the serial abusers. I'm not talking about the Harvey Weinsteins or the Donald Trumps or the Matt Lowers of the world. Men who intentionally and knowingly and willfully use their positions of power to commit sexual crimes against their victims. These men have no path back. They have no place in our culture. But what about the Aziz Ansaris? About the people who certainly committed bad acts, but 
Perhaps not to the level of those monsters I just mentioned. What about the men we can teach? What about the men who are willing to learn? Now, I know, I know it's asking a lot. It's asking so much for those of us who have been on the receiving ends of these interactions to educate those who commit them. And we shouldn't have to do it. But if not us, then who? Of course, we need men to teach men, but this is such a pervasive problem in our culture, so ingrained into our DNA that we need more than that. We need everyone pushing in the same direction. And we need to find a way to let those who can be contrite, who can change, who can earn their way back into our good graces to do so. If we can do this, if we can be part of the cure the next generations may not have to experience the horrors that we have. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know the exact right path forward. I don't even know exactly how to forgive the people who have treated me this way. But I do know that my daughter and my son deserve a better world than the one we have. And there's nothing I won't do to make that happen. Join me. Please. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our associate producer is Ben Jackson. Editing and engineering by Natasha Jacobs and music by Josh Cook and Alicia Eagle. Please subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and spread the word. Sorry Not Sorry.